Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Mr. Reed Cooley, policy fellow, Independent Institute, smart and accomplished guy, writer as well. How are you, sir? I'm great, Dr. Ritchie. How are you? Doing well, man. You know, we're going to talk about the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Maybe if we have time, we get to the convoy, the freedom convoy, as they call it. But I'm always interested to hear the libertarian point of view and how conservatives interplay with that on some level. I do say on record that conservatives, in my opinion, they have been schizophrenic in their response to Russia for a few years now, especially in this moment. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about that topic. So if you would give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Well, I'll say that right now, I think the most important thing that we can do as commentators, as concerned citizens, whatever we are, is just make sure that we're being intellectually honest, make sure that we're really you know, trying to understand what's really going on here. Get past the media spin, get past the propaganda, whether it's from the right, whether it's from the left, whether it's from the center, whatever else, and really just try to have a sober understanding as to what's going on. Because something that I've been frustrated with over the last couple of days has been just people I've seen on Twitter, wherever else that they're making all of these rash assumptions about what's going on or they're posting you know content about Ukraine just hoping to get clicks and we need to keep keep in mind here that people are dying here like there, there's footage of, of civilians in their cars for example being run over by tanks for example I saw that this morning and I was absolutely mortified by what's going on whenever we're talking about you know a matter of life and death we're talking about massive numbers of people being killed. It's not something that we should just chase social media trends about or That's that we right. should just try and be the loudest, most obnoxious person in the room about. So um, I've been trying to keep up with this story as intensely as I can over the last uh, two days. You know, what I found is that uh, this morning, the Ukrainian government claimed that more than a thousand Russian troops had already been killed. And for some reason, the British government, uh, they, they've put the, the Russian death toll at about half that. So we're talking about anywhere from 500 to a thousand, maybe even more. Uh, Russian troops being killed right now. Uh, the Ukrainian government has said that at least 137 civilians and soldiers have been killed. Countless Ukrainian people have been forced into bomb shelters. Uh, the European Union is considering another, yet another uh, wave of sanctions. And Poland, we have to tip our hats to them. They've they've allowed at least 29,000 refugees to enter their country. Yeah. And the Washington Post reports that at least 50,000 Ukrainians have fled altogether. I really hope, I will say, I really hope that, that more countries across the West and really elsewhere uh, really open up their borders to, to as many Ukrainian refugees as they can possibly take. Uh, that includes the United States because of uh, this is a very serious uh, humanitarian crisis. I do think that it is absolutely worth acknowledging you know, the distinctions between the libertarian and the conservative approaches to foreign policy. Because I think that it's especially right now where we need to be talking about what I believe the merits of the libertarian foreign policy are right, and really how they're different you know, than, than conservatives. And I'll say they are very different. Well, let so, me let me let me focus a question because we do have limited time before the next show. Yes, uh, you're a libertarian. You're a proud libertarian. Uh, the Latin word is libertas, which is freedom, uh, and you all believe in this freedom. Uh, and I can I can always have typically a legitimate debate discussion with libertarians. Because you all come to conclusions through a level of authenticity that many conservatives do not. One of my most favorite professors in law school is an older white male who's a diehard libertarian. Love him to life, all right? 
remarkable guy. So let me ask you the actual difference between the, the, the foreign policy ideology between libertarians and Republicans. What would you say it is? Well, I would say, you know, first and foremost, you know, our foreign policy is built on a commitment to peace and prosperity, talking, yeah. traveling, and trading with other countries, not resorting to deadly saber rattling and horrific military conflicts as the first means of diplomacy. Okay. It's an approach to foreign policy that's not new. It goes all the way back to the wisdom of the founders of this country. For example, Thomas Jefferson's warnings against entangling alliances. And it was George Washington who wisely counseled us to not interweave our destiny with any part of Europe, entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of what really seems like a direct call out to Vladimir Putin here, European ambition, rivalship, interest, humor, or caprice. And this is not to say that, that the libertarian non-interventionist foreign policy is isolationist. On the contrary, the libertarian position encourages interaction with other countries through commerce, diplomacy, freedom of travel. It's those who support hurting other countries and the people inside them who are the real isolationists. Whenever it comes to conservatives and how they're different from us, it's a lot more difficult to really nail down exactly what their foreign policy is because you have war hawks like Lindsey Graham and Liz Cheney on one side of the sort of conservative spectrum. But you also have more, more sort of non-interventionist figures in the conservative movement as well. Maybe people like Rand Paul or maybe Dr. Ron Paul, for example. So the, the conservative approach to foreign policy, in my opinion, is not as consistent. Uh -huh. It's not as coherent, it's not as clear cut. Whereas the libertarian approach to foreign policy, that is the commitment to peace and prosperity. In my opinion, it really provides the moral clarity that we need in order to, to navigate the many complexities of, of the world today, the geopolitical landscape that we're facing, and a lot of the very a lot of the very dark situations that we're facing on a regular basis. Let me ask you this, and I find your factual assessment of the conflict accurate. When you mention those who have spoken about American conflict and international connection in the past. We were in a very different world back then, dear brother. And we have to at some point at least acknowledge the different world it is today from the time that many of those individuals spoke on how America should interplay with the broader planet, right? So you have international commerce at levels you have not had them before. You have a connection of technology in ways you did not have that before. You also have American interests affixed in many of these foreign territories that you did not have before. Now I'm anti-war and I'm 100% legit in my stance when it comes to being anti-war because I believe one, black bodies tend to be shipped, deployed and sacrificed. Number two, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, when America is at war internationally, it desensitizes Americans domestically to the progress of society. So social progress that we're fighting for gets put on the back burner domestically when America is involved in international conflict. So it's a lose domestically for black communities, okay? So when you say, all right, well, yeah, what those guys said in the past is legitimate, I understand it. but we do have a different kind of world today. Are you anti, let's say, military? Like you still believe a military needs to be active? Or do you say under the libertarian banner, 
we need to really not have a military that can engage in warfare outside of the country. For example, the Japanese government in their constitution, they're not allowed to go to war outside of Japan. You cannot enact articles of war. And even in Russia, he had to get special permission to engage in warfare outside of Russia, right? So there's a barrier there. So what's your thought or ideology about the American military? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Happy yep. to approach it one bit at a time. Uh, I do believe that we should have a military. Uh, I'm not I'm not anti-military by any stretch of the imagination, but I believe that that military should be focused on defending the American people and American soil first and okay. foremost. It should yep. not be an interventionist force that goes out uh, in search of monsters to destroy, so to speak, in other parts of the world. I believe that uh, that, that we should have a pro-America foreign policy that's focused on peace, prosperity, and non-interventionism, trade and commerce with other countries. And I do believe that in such a scenario, that military would be substantially smaller than the military that we see today. But you know, I'm not I'm not against the military. Well, let me let me insert this because Biden has basically echoed. Listen, we're not saying we're going to war with Russia. He, I mean, he has made it very clear this is not what he wants to do. He doesn't want military conflict. So the the sanctions, which is technically a diplomatic tool, these sanctions have been implemented in a way to provide a significant deterrence to war, right? Do you agree with the sanctions of Biden or do you disagree with them as a strategy or strategic approach in what Russia is doing? Uh, so I disagree with sanctions no matter which president is doing it. Uh, I disagreed with sanctions uh, whenever they were first enacted by you know by President Obama in 2014 okay. against Russia. I disagreed with with the sanctions under the Trump administration. Okay. And I disagree with sanctions from Biden. The thing about so, uh, there are many things to approach about sanctions here. Okay, uh, they're both immoral and they're effective. I completely reject the idea that sanctions are a more humane form of war uh, altogether. Since 2014, our government has put more sanctions on Russia than any other country on earth besides Iran. And we've still gotten in the situation that we've gotten in today. Putin very well understood that more sanctions were going to be coming the moment that he invaded Ukraine and he invaded Ukraine anyway. And the people of Ukraine themselves are taking to the media saying that the sanctions alone are not going to stop Vladimir Putin. So let me ask you this, what would what would be your recommendation if you were president? Or sanctions. All right, if, if you were president, what would you say, what would you do? Or if you could uh, advise a president, what would you say? Here's how we can curve what's happening right now with uh, the conflict. What would you do? Well, I mean, this is a very tough thing to have to say, but I don't believe that every single conflict is ours to get directly involved in in a military okay. sense. As, as I said several minutes but ago. This isn't a military um, sense. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about sanctions sure. and here's what we know. We know that wars cost money, so they try to dry up the money. We also know that wars typically require some level of buy-in from the citizens of that country. And so these sanctions are meant in part to make the citizens uncomfortable, so the war becomes unpopular with the leader who has waged it. So there's a real cause and effect dynamic. So I get it, brother, you, you do have intellectual integrity in what you're saying. You have been critical of sanctions all the way through. My question is, what is the alternative and, and I think what you're saying is the alternative is to simply not get involved whatsoever, period. 
So uh, what you just said about sanctions is precisely my problem with them in the first place is that okay. they are they are designed to to impact the people in that country as opposed to the to the corrupt government leaders to the tyrants mm-hmm. to the kleptocrats running that country. That's why I think that that it's that it's a it's a particularly inhumane measure to undertake in the first place. So yes, in this in this scenario, my position would be open up as as many open up our borders to as many refugees as we possibly can take. Um, and yes, I think that you know, whenever George Washington talked about extending an equal and impartial hand to foreign affairs, I think that this is exactly the kind of situation that he was describing. And you said several minutes ago that the world has changed a lot since Jefferson and Washington were were were, were around. But I consider that to be a fairly invalid dismissal of of their ideas because. Okay, the world has changed a lot since the late 18th century. You and I both agree on that, and we don't mm-hmm. have the time, and we don't need to go into every reason. But is, but for that reason, should we completely dismiss the Bill of Rights? Should we completely dismiss freedom of speech? Because should we completely Let dismiss me respond to that. the Constitution? So Let yes, me yes, respond sir, go ahead. to that. Uh, the Constitution is a flawed document. The Constitution, right? So you agree? Libertarians typically typically do. Uh, the Constitution had to be amended, and I think more amendments need to come, by the way. Uh, those are corrections to the Constitution. So yeah, you do have to um, reinterpret or remake or rebrand, reimplement these particular old school rules, laws and policies. Even the founding document of this country, which creates the DNA structure of the nation had to be Reestablished, redone, and reformed through the amendment process. So, absolutely, that's one of the greatest examples of times changing. So does the policy. Would you not agree? Um, I would agree to an extent. So, if you're going to keep a constitution at all, yeah, I think the amendments were obviously good. The Civil Rights Amendments, obviously, the 19th Amendment, all the amend- all the amendments sure. that followed, except for the 16th, of course. Not not a very big fan of the income tax, personally. <laughs> but uh, but whenever it comes to the Constitution, I agree. Right. It, it was a, it it was a flawed document at the time it was created, yeah. and the the main reason for that was that it was a dramatic expansion of government power, and it led to to a lot of of the so the, the welfare warfare state. That we that we deal with 200 220 years later. So I want to I want to laser focus on one thing you said just a minute ago, however, okay. and that's that the Constitution creates the DNA for the nation. I actually disagree with that. I think that yeah, wow. that if anything, the DNA of the nation is determined by the people who live in that nation by their culture. You know, Wait a by, minute, hold on, because we only have a couple so of minutes so before the next show, so I want to make sure I'll pound on that point before we run out of time. Yes, the DNA of the nation, and here's why I say it from the perspective that I do. The DNA of a nation is typically set by the leaders of that nation, the founding fathers as they are called of that nation. The founding fathers decided to create a policy, we call that the constitution. That policy governed the behavior of those inside of this nation. That policy also allowed for statutes to be passed out of it. The statutes that protected those who owned other people and could freely rape. Uh, men, women, and children, and say, well, they're slaves, and we can do that to slaves. All of that was codified in the DNA of this country. It shaped the culture of the nation. So you don't get away from the fact that the Constitution did not look at anybody other than white men who own property as worthy of 
um, connection to the democracy or worthy of holding political office. You cannot say that document did not create the policy and the culture of white supremacy, systemic bias, etc. that you have seen permeate throughout the land. You can't say that document had nothing to do with it. No, oh, I mean, I, I think that uh, while your concerns with the early constitution are entirely valid, you know, extending uh, property property ownership exclusively to white males and stuff sure. like that, those are those are egregious uh, moral and historical failures that yes. I think uh, there, there's no way it's possible to defend them. But to say that that it spawned all these other all these hideous forms of white supremacy generations, if not centuries later, I mean, I have to be honest, Dr. Ritchie, I think that's asinine. If you want to talk about the very serious problem of white supremacy in this country, I don't think I don't think it starts with the constitution. Constitution. I think that these are moral failures that transcend well, they are the fabric failures. of our society. They are moral they failures. Are moral yes. failures. But, brother, but they can't be pinned on the Constitution. Did those moral Hold on, brother. We got 60 seconds. Did those moral failures of those men who put pen to paper express themselves through that document you speak of? I'm sorry, well, what's, what's your Did question? The moral failures of those men, their biases, their shortcomings, their their negative ideology as it, as it relates to anybody other than white men, did it not make itself from their pen to that document known as the Constitution? They wrote things in the Constitution right. that were, yeah, they wrote things in the Constitution that were racist and were that's fortunately right. right, rescinded much later. Right. You and I agree on Listen, that. Listen, brother, so, you and I sure. can have a much longer debate about that. We got the next show coming up. I want you back on the show to talk about that dynamic. That's an interesting caveat that you believe there. And I would love to have you back to debate on that. We need more people like you though. At the end of the day, you have integrity about what you believe in. I hope, I hope you all get stronger in some of these areas throughout the country so that we can at least have an alternative to the insanity of the Republicans. Because here's what's happening, brother. Republicans are so damn crazy right now that Democrats can get away with almost anything, promise you everything, not deliver. And then when election comes back up, they can say, well, hell, what you gonna do? Vote for the Republican? Look at what they're saying. And we lose in that ecosystem of politics. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, man. Thank you.